Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is a prepaid call from Raul from Hialeah. An inmate at the county correctional facility. All phone calls are subject to recording and monitoring. To decline this call, press 9 now and to accept this call, press 1 now. Thank you. Your call has been accepted. Hey, money. Hey, money. I cannot believe I'm back in lock up. I'm at TGK. Hey. But I'd rather be in TGK and have to watch UVA. If you know what I'm saying, que juego más malo, mani. Ay, ay, ay. I was watching it with all my friends in La Carreta on 493. We were in the hall at top, on the second level, where you have parties and stuff. It was fantastic. So I was having the coronas before the game. I was taking the shots of rum, thinking, here we go, baby. We're going to turn this thing around after we put up 69. Nice number. Against Centro Connecticut. Estáis Centro Connecticut? Connecticut? Cututi? I don't know how you spell the name or say, but we beat the crap out of those guys. And I'm thinking, Concho, here we come. The games are back. Ay, pero el cubano arrepentido este Manny Diaz does it again. He strikes again, Manny. Strikes again. What is he doing? I thought for some reason he had gone to Hialeah. He got him on the pole. He was ready to go for this game, but apparently not. Apparently, he went and just uh, walked down the beach and meditated like, like a non-Cuban does, Mari. Pero, ay, el Gurbin Hall otra vez anoche, all over the field, no touch any balls. He no touch any balls. He's like a girl from a Catholic school who teases you. Ay, Gurbin Hall, the offensive line, no block, nobody. The offensive line, no block, nobody. They don't touch the guy in front of him. It's incredible. It's like me here in jail. I don't touch the guy in front of me. You don't know what's going to happen. I can turn it to something serious. Eh, pero, money, this is, this is coming on a glute, man. Yeah, se está esperando el season entero. What are we going to do here? We can't change. We cannot tackle. We cannot block. We cannot catch. What can we do? What can we do? We can barely put the uniform on, man. We got beaten by the University of Virginia's. Virginia's, man. Oh, my God. What are we doing? We got guys that supposedly have four, five, 75 stars, and we're going out there and playing like cacas. Like cacas, money. I've seen my, my cats Wissing and Yandel take more interesting poops with more athleticism than some guys are playing with out there, money. I was going, oh, T-Bone, how you doing? I gotta say hi to the guy, T-Bone. He's a scary guy. But eh, it's like, uh, I don't know, man. Ya estoy a punto. I'm ready to give up. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to toss in the towel. Eh, but I hang on for, I hang on to the towel too long, man. I should have thrown in the towel first a long time ago. I'm like, I'm like Silvestre Tolón, like Rocky in Rocky Four when he keeps watching Apollo get his brains beaten in by the Russo. And I just hang on to the towel, I hang on to the towel, and, and I don't throw it until, yeah, Apollo is una plata mienda. What are you going to do? Apollo is crushed. And then I throw the towel. That's what's happening now. That's what this team has done to me. Okay? I have hung on to the towel too long before hitting the eject button, before throwing that towel in and giving up on these guys. Because I think I have hope, man. I stood deep down inside in my heart. In my, in, in, in my corazón de corazones. In my Cuban soul of souls, man. Deep down inside my head and chest. 
I believe that they can do this. That they can turn it around. That somehow, Manny Diaz will drink un batido de trigo. And remember that he's Cuban and turn this thing around. That maybe un plato de frijoles negro will wake him up. Manny. Oh, Dios mío, maybe un cafecito cubano. Oh, a little bit of guarapo. What's it going to take, Manny? What's it gonna, tell me what it's going to take and I'll break out of the jail and I'll do it, Manny. I will do it right now. Bueno, eh, my time is up. I'm out of the Kikolek Call Times. Thank you for allowing me to come through video collect call from TGK. Uh, we'll see what happens next week. Unless the one or two weeks. That's probably how long I'm gonna be here anyway. Uh, hopefully T-Bone doesn't take care of me while I'm here. Goodbye. All right, welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Friday, October 1st, or is um, some may call it the day after Manny Diaz lost to Virginia, 30-28. to 28. Uh, With me, as always, my cohort from the MIA All Day podcast, Carlos Ledo. Uh, a, wound, a wounded duck at this point. Yeah, it's not a good, good day to be a Hurricanes fan. And so uh, they're 2-3 and three right now, 0-1 in the ACC. And before we get started with the show, I got I to gotta tell you, I tripped out today. I had to go pick up my girls at dance class. And... Um, you know, the, the girls are on the cutting edge of technology. I don't pay attention to have this stuff, but they said, Dad, Dad, make sure to ask Siri, what did the fox say? And I hadn't done this before. I, I, so I wanted to do this on air with you. <laughs> did it say fire many ideas? What did the fox say? <laughs> Pretty funny. So I thought, <laughs> hey, I, I got a good chuckle out of that. I wonder if I asked Siri who the worst team in the ACC was, you know, what she would say. Let's see what she says. Who is the worst team in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Florida State is in last place in the Atlantic Coast Conference with a record of 0-4. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. What place are the Miami Hurricanes in? Miami are 2-3 and three right now. That's last place in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So they're saying, we, they're saying the Canes suck just as much as FSU, apparently. Pretty much. And Siri knows all. She does. Uh, so anyway, I figured that would be a fun little uh, little... <laughs> segment because i the, the what did the fox say i wasn't expecting it and i said no let's turn it back to football and uh, i, I would have peed my pants at the fire if she came back and said uh fire manny diaz that would have been hilarious that's what the fox said <laughs> maybe we can get mike zimmerman to like superimpose that into the uh into the podcast anyway uh tough loss yesterday i don't know where you want to start with this but <laughs> let's start with the decision making because i called manny diaz on it people are like you're an idiot he did the right football move under two minutes to play, you want to run out the clock and set up the kicker, and it was only a 33-yard field goal, and he should have made it, and blah, 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 blah. But I thought from the moment they slowed things down is when they made the mistake because they'd been playing from behind all night, and essentially, you know, you just needed to take the lead. didn't matter if you had to go back and play defense. Your kids needed to feel, hey, we're in control of this game, right? They'd been chasing Virginia all night, and instead – Slows the clock down. Virginia calls. It's next to last time out with a minute 37. And then they line up in my favorite formation, which is called, hey, Virginia, stop the run. And they lined up, handed the ball off, ran right into the dog pile. And it was boom, boom, back-to-back plays. And it was, you know, field goal time. I I know it's easy to second guess, right? But I was first guessing during the broadcast. Um, In retrospect, how much blame does Manny Diaz deserve for taking that approach in this game? It, it's it's tough for me to blame him 
um, completely in that situation because here's the deal. He, let's say he keeps pushing, right? After they take their final time out, he takes a shot to the end zone. It gets intercepted. He looks like an idiot. Let's say he hands it off to Cam Harris on a play that's designed to try and get him to the edge and get him to the end zone. Cam fumbles. They recover. He looks like an idiot. Let's say he gives it to a jet sweep and get, tries to give it on a jet sweep, loses the handle on it, fumble. They recover. He, uh, Tyler Dyke, play action, drops back, gets sacked, loses 15 yards. Now you have a deeper field goal, and he looks like an idiot. But at the same time, it was it, what bothered me was the lack of aggression, right? I mean, you're moving down the field. You finally have Virginia on, your, on their heels, and before they call their last time out, it looks like you're going to punch it in that end zone. So right up until the point where you can't do it anymore, you should keep trying to score however you feel is best. Now, if you feel like you don't want to put the ball in the air with a redshirt, for, with a redshirt freshman quarterback, I understand that, but run something that you think can get you a shot at scoring. Not, you know, just slam it right up into the middle. They basically just wedge the offensive line down and let Cam Harris slam up into him so he could use their final timeout. It wasn't like they designed something specifically to try and get Cam Harris into the end zone. It was just to get them to use their last timeout. And that was the issue I had with the lack of aggression. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I understand, you know, the side of being conservative because you don't want to turn the ball over. And, and certainly had Tyler Van Dyke been, you know, sack fumble – or Cameron Harris fumble, I think for sure we, w- we would have all been down Manny's throat for that reason, right? Because or even sacked and lost 10, 15 yards and pushed that field goal up to 40, I get it. 45 yards. I get it. But I also think there were certain plays that you can run that are pretty safe, like a right. screen <clears throat> or an RPO where the quarterback keeps it and he runs the ball and slides. Um, there could have been a lot of different things you could have run there. And to me, it was like give up city. Like anytime Will Mallory's in the backfield, the tight end blocking, um, it's an obvious running play. And, you know, to me, I, I understand you don't want to leave them without much time because they can drive down the field. But you go up and you score seven, you're up 35-30. They right. got to get into the end zone with a minute to play and no timeouts. I mean, yes, Brendan Armstrong is a good quarterback, but that's not Aaron Rodgers out there. I no. mean, and, and, and that's he- what I mean by designing something to let Cam try and get in the end zone, be safe, run the ball. That's fine. Now, they, they just purposely ran the ball into the line of scrimmage, hoping they'd get tackled right away just so they could use their last time out rather than running something they could actually, actually try and score. Yeah, it was a really crappy approach, I thought. I thought, you know, I understand you want to protect the ball. Jalen Knighton just fumbled. There's plenty of reasons to be conservative. But, you know, I don't know. That's not the Miami way. Like, could you picture Jimmy Johnson or – Dennis Erickson or somebody successful in Miami's past with two minutes to go on the clock saying, well, we better hold it for our kicker because, you know, we're afraid of our guys turning the ball over. Like, oh, hell no. They would have tried to punch it in. They would have tried to punch <laughs> and you and, and in a lot of ways, I felt like Miami needed to something to feel good about. Like, they needed to feel like, oh, man, you know, um, we, we, we came back and we beat these guys. And we played well in the fourth quarter. Like, I just thought there was so much to gain by being a little bit more aggressive at the end of that game versus putting it on your freshman kicker, who, by the way, had missed a 27-yarder earlier this year. It's not like he made everything. Yes, he made a 55-yarder. Yes, he made a 43-yarder. But ACC opener, everybody's criticizing you, ripping you for the job you're doing, and you send out the 18-year-old freshman. You're like, yeah, we'll just – we'll let him kick it. Um. I don't know, man. And, you know, I spent a lot of time talking with Kelvin Harris today, former Hurricane, who obviously has been on this podcast many times. Um, 
And it's like, he's like, oh, no, you know, I talked to Lamar Thomas. This is the right football play. We made the right football play. You can't, you know, you can't criticize Manny. And a lot of people defended Manny for, for that decision. But I think, you know, sometimes as a coach, you got to be aggressive. You watch the San Diego, Kansas City game last weekend. They could have held it and kicked the field goal. What did they do? They stuck it in the end zone. Right. And I don't know. There's something about like, hey, you know what? We came back and we took the lead. And, and here's something I think not enough people are discussing. I think if they tried to score, like if they ran the ball at Virginia and probably tried to score, Virginia might have let them score. They certainly did. And I think in the aftermath, that's something that Bronco Mendenhall and those guys had, had talked about, that they wanted to leave themselves with timeouts. And I get it. But you know what? College kids, man, you leave so much to chance. If the game was tied, I could understand Manny Diaz saying, you know what? Let's play for the field goal. But you're down two. And if the kid misses the kick, you're screwed. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and right. And Miami had three timeouts. Like, I, I don't know. There, there was just it, it felt like I felt it from the get-go. This is not a good approach. And it didn't work out. But anyway, everybody's calling me a Monday morning quarterback now for, for that. Either way, had they made the kick, Carlos, I still think we'd be sitting here today picking apart the victory and saying, hey, this still isn't good enough. Uh, you got to win with more style points than that. You, you, the offense was horrendous the first half, 94 yards of total offense. The defense continued to miss tackles. They had 14 missed tackles in the game. Um, I don't know. Uh, win or lose, where do you sit with where this team is right now at 2-3 and three and 0-1 and and in the ACC? <clears throat> I think you're right. I think it might be, for lack of a better term, a blessing in disguise that they actually missed the kick so they can take a look at themselves and really see what's going on. But we've said this before. I mean, the three losses they've had have been mostly self-inflicted wounds. They've killed themselves on the way to these losses. And I'm like, I feel like Wiley Coyote. Like <clears throat> every time these guys play, I'm thinking, all right, this is a week that we get it fixed. We turn things around and we get the season going in the right direction. And then lo and behold, I try to catch the roadrunner and a big brick hits me in the head and, and I'm done. And or I fall off a cliff or these brand new rocket shoes that I bought that I think are going to work this week uh, just blow up in my face. Like this is what I'm used to every week now. And it's, it's gotten depressing. It's like, how do we how do we continue to beat ourselves? It's not even like the opponents are doing it to us. We're doing it to ourselves. And this week. That first quarter was some of the worst offense football I've ever seen in my life. You know what it is? 10 yards in a quarter? And these guys are, are piling up 150, 160 yards against you in that first quarter? I mean, they came back in the second half. You know, I got to hand it to them. They were gritty. They fought. Tyler Van Dyke really turned it around. It seemed like they made some adjustments. They got back in the game. But, I mean, the final margin, everybody's talking about the field goal. The final margin is that stupid safety they gave up, trying to run the ball to one-yard line, and they got no movement on the line. And ended up with a safety. It's like, I mean, it's little things like that that continue to destroy their season. It's death by a thousand paper cuts, and it's killing me. It's funny. I, I reached out to a lot of former players. You know, obviously, everybody's worried. Well, not worried, but thinking Manny Diaz is going to get fired. And, you know, the rumor mill is going crazy. And I'm on watch. And Bruce Feldman's on watch. And all of us are, okay, what's going to happen here? Um, so I reached out to a bunch of former players just to get thoughts on different issues. And, and one of them was Joaquin Gonzalez, who, you know, never holds his tongue. Uh, yeah, I'm sure and, he was very sedated, very <laughs> calm about the whole situation. <laughs> well, I asked him point blank, just what do you see the problem with the offensive line? You know, what, what do you think is the issue here? Because, you know, it's the, the same group back, right? The same guys. It's not like it's a bunch of new guys. Jalen Rivers is out for the year. Now you have, 
um, you know, a bunch of kids out there that uh, have been here for a long time. And I'm going to read his answer right off of my. Uh, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. Off my, to- off my text thread. Let's see here. What I love about Joaquin is that he's brutally honest and he's super passionate about the program. He says, working together, they're horrible passing off stunts and double teaming players. Yep. Made that kid from Gulliver look like a superstar. And then he, he writes in sarcastic PS, you can tell that they haven't played together for a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just as frustrating for him uh, watching this as it as it's always been. Um, DJ Scaife got toasted on one of the uh, on one of those stunts. Yeah, um, we, were, we were texting about it last night with, with Kelvin and I'm like, this is did you see what just happened? Even yeah. Kelvin was shocked. Kelvin had no answer for it. Right, and he normally does. So here, here's who responsible for the four sacks in last night's game. DJ Scaife, your right guard, uh, that was the obvious one. He, he gave up three pressures. Uh, Jaden Knighton is credited for one, the running back, two pressures allowed. And then Zion Nelson got beat on one. He's allowed two pressures. And then Navon Donaldson, uh, who, by the way, he gave up the safety. He's, you know, Mandy Alonzo blew past him yeah. to tackle uh, – Cameron Harris in the end zone. He gave up a, a sack and, and a pressure. Um, just not crisp, not good enough. I mean, look, they ran the ball a lot better than they had all season long, but that was something that sort of started to happen in the second half because they weren't but, doing it in the first half. But, man, they still ran it for less than what Virginia was giving up on average for the season. They ran for 169. Right. Virginia gave up over 200 yards rushing a game. Yeah, I – I don't know what you do. Uh, Justice Oluwasun came back from injury, but he was basically only available in emergency mode. Um, you know, I think we're pretty much down to six offensive linemen, right? I mean, is that not what they have right now? It's it's basically a rotation of six. I mean, until Corey Gaynor gets back, um, you know, Ja'Kai Clark, I thought, played okay. Um, let me look here at the the, yeah, se- yeah. the season grades, but go ahead. You I was going to ask you for I was going to ask you for Jakai's PFF number from last night. I wonder wh- how well he did compared to what Corey Gaynor has been doing this season. But it's I mean at this point, it's no longer about plugging guys in because you've already gone through every possible combination of guys that have experience and the ones that you could rotate in and out of there. Right now, you're probably stuck with the five you have, maybe six with with Olawusun rotating in there. But at some point, they're just going to have to learn how to play together. And know their assignments because part of this is not it's not just physical. Like the one we're talking about with DJ Scape, that's mental. It's not knowing his assignment. It's making a stupid mistake when a guy is lined up on top over his shoulder or right above him, head up, and the guy slants completely across to the other gap. He's got to understand there's probably somebody coming back around. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, you know who's graded really well these last two games? Jared Williams. Really? He's been the starting right tackle the last two games. He's actually started three straight games, but got taken out of the Michigan State game. But in his last two games, these are his grades. 92.3, which is almost perfect. And then 83.7, which is very good. Um, he's given up one pressure and one sack in the last two games. And that sack came against Central Connecticut wow. State. So 73 slaps, uh, snaps last night. Um, didn't grade out as well run blocking wise. But, I mean, maybe right tackle is solved. It's the other yeah. two guard spots that continue to be yeah. areas of concern. Uh, you asked me about. Um, Ja'Kai Clark. Ja'Kai Clark. Let's see here. Ja'Kai has been in for 116 snaps. He's graded out 61.6, which is average. He's allowed one pressure. His run blocking grade is poor. His pass blocking grade is good. So there you go. What was it? Was there uh, one for last night specifically? Specifically for last night. Let's see. As I call it up. 66.1. So actually better than Central Connecticut State. (laughs) That's pretty uh, impressive. Yeah. So, again, you know, to me, that's the biggest area of concern um, on the offense because you need consistency there. And they and they try. They played. Look, they played the same five all game. Um, and you know, if if this is the best group and they're giving up four sacks to Virginia, you know, it, it could, you know, it could be a one of the just one of those seasons all all season long where you're like, man, are these guys ever going to get it together? You know. Um, yeah. But. At least the encouraging part was when they needed to run the football last night, they could. And that was late yeah. in the game. And they were and they were beginning to open up holes and, and develop some consistency. I thought in the second half they played better. We'll see. We'll see going forward. The more encouraging development, really more than anything, uh, for me, is the way Tyler Van Dyke played over the last 12 throws. He completed 10 of his last 12 after starting yeah. 5 of 17. And early on, you could see there was a little bit of nerves. He was overthrowing guys, underthrowing guys, just not – I think the speed of the game was getting to him. But by the fourth quarter, after he had that touchdown run, he was really in a groove. And I thought, you know, he made a lot of good throws late in the game, including that third and 14 where he hit Rambo coming out of the break yep. and, and converted with a 16-yard throw. So he was very encouraging at the end of that game. And, you know, we don't know how long uh, he's going to have to be quarterback. You know, I people texting me, saying, I heard, you know, D'Eric's going to be out for the year. D'Eric's not answering any questions, obviously. Nobody in D'Eric's family is answering any questions. Manny Diaz is just kind of streaming us all along. Well, you know, he's out there. He's moving around. He was warming up today. He threw some balls. Uh, Yes, he was playing catch pregame before the Virginia game, but he was not throwing. It wasn't like an athletic. It was like me and you going out and playing catch. Right. Okay, I mean. That's, That's depressing. And, and I don't know. It's hard to tell how, how strong somebody's shoulder is when they're lightly tossing a football. Um, but, you know, Manny hasn't ruled him out yet. I think, you know, it's certainly an advantage to make the other team think that he's available to play because now you got a game plan for two different quarterbacks. But I was talking with, with Calvin Harris today about this. I, you know, even if, if he can't come in and throw and be a quarterback, why not use him as a, as a weapon? You know, use him as mm-hmm. a receiver, use him as a running back, hand him the ball off on a reverse, run a trick play with him. Um, and, and I'm willing to think that, you know, I think he'd be willing to, to, to play in a role like that if he could get on the field. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, even if he's damaged to the point where he can't throw the football like he used to, Derek King is still a very good player. And I could totally see him playing that kind of a role. Could you not? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the one concern would be is if the injury, if there's a concern to, to further injure him or get him in a position where he may jeopardize his career moving forward. Not that I see very high NFL prospects for him, but who knows? I mean, at least that's that's an option that's out there for him at the end of the season. Um, if you can do that without causing any injury to, to him long term in his career hopes, then do it. I mean, even still, let's say he he heals properly, but Tyler Van Dyke is playing well and he's getting the offense moving and scoring more points than they have all season. Why not inject Derek King, like you said, in a slash role, using him like they used to use Cordell Stewart with Pittsburgh and have a dual threat there that now makes the defense prepare for even more? Um. Yeah, and, and look, I, I like some of the things Rhett did last night, uh, you know, putting guys like Brashard Smith in the backfield, giving him three carries or whatever it was for eight yards. That's the kind of guy that if you mix in in a DJ Dallas type role, um, you know, where he's catching passes out of the backfield and, he, and you're sprinkling him along, he could be a guy who becomes a valuable weapon for this team the rest of the season. Um and player development. Look, I, I know people are probably tuning in this. Why are you not talking about firing Manny Diaz? <laughs> Why are you guys so calm? Where's, yeah. where's all the hate? I, I look at it this way. And I said this to Big O today when I made my, my appearance, my Friday appearance with him. Um, you can sit here and talk about the bad. Or you can actually talk about player development, which to me, in some ways, is a little bit more enticing. Because it's like, you know what? Yeah if Manny gets fired and a lot can change, but I think a lot of these players are going to be here for the next two or three years. Right. I think Tyler Van Dyke is going to be here for the next right. two or three years. I think hopefully Rashard Smith is going to be here. Leonard, I mean, we haven't even started talking about the guys in defense. Um, and, and that's important. And a lot of these guys are just beginning to play. So we're going to get to Manny Diaz and the big picture for the program. So don't hang up and say, screw it. I'm not listening to this crap. Yeah, I'm not hearing um, enough hate. I need to I need to end this right now. Stop playing this let's podcast. Just, let's finish reviewing this game for now and, and know that, hey, you know what? In two weeks, there's another game because that's not going to change. There's going to be games. There's seven games yeah. to play here. You got to still follow the team along. Um, all right. I, I want to get into Tyler Van Dyke here. Just some numbers for the season. Um, when he's kept clean, okay, 24 of 38. 63% completion percentage, 473 yards, four touchdowns. It's pretty good. He, mm-hmm. Like I said, he missed a few passes with guys open. He's only been under pressure 12 times in his 52 dropbacks. So that's only 23% of the time. Now, he's been sacked seven times, which is, <laughs> I think, sort of tells a story here of what we saw last night, where he got a little bit of pressure in his face. And what did he do? Instead of trying to force the ball, instead of trying to get rid of it, he kind of ducked, right? And yeah. just and said, hey, I'm cover and got in the fetal position and went down. And I think he was coached up to, to play that way. And, and look, first real start against a real opponent, not, you know, Central Connecticut State. I think that's the right way to coach this kid. What do you take away from that performance yesterday that is good? What do you take away that still concerns you? I think you're you're absolutely right when it comes to him coming out nervous and feeling that the, the speed of the game was too much for him at the beginning. And I think what they wanted to do early on was get him comfortable by making a couple easy throws and letting him get loose. And that way he can sort of settle into the game. I think the problem was they, they the first play call that they had was that that Laplace they love to run with with Will Mallory coming down the line of scrimmage and throwing it out to him. He's throwing it to the short side of the field 
the guy's all over him, and then Will Mallory drops the ball even though the ball was a little bit behind him. I mean, that play, every time they've run it this season, it might have worked one time, but every time after that, it's gained one yard or gained none or lost one. So that's a bad way to get him started. Then he finally completes one to Harley on second down, and on third down, he's a little high with it, um, and then his confidence starts to drop a little bit. I think they should have started off a little bit trying to run the ball some to let him get in the flow, take the pressure off of him, instead of having him come out and gun it three, three downs in a row and say, okay, kid, we're going to ride you tonight, and, and not letting him settle into the game. I think as time went on, you, he went from looking a, like a deer in the headlights and being like the moment being a little too big for him to him settling down and saying to himself, shit, I belong here. I can play here, and starting to make plays. And you really saw, like when you said, when he took off and made that, that long run, that 24-yard touchdown run, he felt like, okay, I can do this. I really can lead this team to a victory. And you saw that confidence in the final drive, and then they shit the bed with the misfield. Couple other notes here that's interesting. These are all PFF stats. Uh, of his 52 dropbacks, 34, no play action. So, you know, 65% of the time, he's not even messing around with the RPO. He's just straight up dropping back the throw. Right. 15 of 25, 335 yards, three touchdowns in those situations. Uh, in the play action, he's 10 of 16. That's a 62%, 63% completion percentage. Um, not as uh, you know, maybe you want, maybe you hope that he hits the safe play a little bit more, but uh, 10 of 16 isn't terrible. Um, and a couple of things as far as how far down the field he's throwing it on deep balls, he's four of nine, 20 yards or more in the air for 139 yards and a touchdown. Medium range, which is 10 to 19 yards, he's four of seven. So, you know, of his uh, 41 pass attempts. Uh, 16 are, are considerably down the field. They're past the first down marker. That's That just shows you, to me, he's a little bit more aggressive with the football and yeah. actually a little bit more aggressive <laughs> with him under center than he is with Derek. Well, I think he has the arm to be able to do it, right? I think Derek right. King has a good arm, but this guy has a really strong arm, so it opens up the field and allows him to, to, it allows him to access routes and throws that normally wouldn't be available to him, which you can see when he makes those long throws to the sideline, when he throws that deep ball down the sideline to, to Rambo. When he throws that ball to Rambo on third, on third and 14, I think it was, on that last drive, where he just puts it on the line in between the coverage, and that's a deep, hard throw to make, especially with people as they're coming at you in your face. So it's impressive the arm talent he has. I think as time goes on, when he feels more comfortable with the offense, you'll see him take less sacks because he's making better decisions. And I think now that he ran for that touchdown, he's going to feel a little bit more comfortable getting out of the pocket and scrambling and trying to run for first downs. Now, one of my last, uh, I don't know if it was on this episode with you, the last time you and I did it a week before um, the Central Connecticut State game, or maybe last week with Roddy uh, Jones. But I think I mentioned that Cameron Harris hasn't been very good at making people miss. Uh, all season long. Uh, I think he had seven forced missed tackles. Kenneth Walker from uh, Michigan State had 20 against Miami in that game. Um, I thought Cameron played much better, obviously, than he had all season in this game. I saw some some tough running. Uh, just from a stats perspective, he forced five, uh, four missed tackles in this game, which if you, you know, seven through your first four games yep. and then four against Virginia, that's a promising sign that, hey, you know, he's, he's getting a little better at it. Um, you know, he finished with 111 yards rushing. Um, you know, he obviously had the 57-yard touchdown run, but 36 yards after contact, uh, it's st still not a great average, 2.5. Now, Jalen Knighton, who came back and played in his first uh, action of the season, coming back from suspension, 44 yards rushing. He also had the fumble that he lost out of bounds 
Um, but big dif- big difference between him and Cameron Harris. He he forced five missed tackles in his first game. Yeah. That elusiveness and having two different styles of runners certainly helps Miami moving forward. Like I, part of the reason I think this running game struggled so much is because once Don Chaney Jr. went down, teams knew Cameron Harris is a straight downhill runner. Yeah. Now you got a little shift in his. And that could help Miami down the stretch. Well, I think what you saw from Cam last night that was different, especially in the second half, was he was actually hitting the holes hard and coming downhill with it instead of dancing and trying to find a hole as he does uh, whenever he gets a handoff. This time he was hitting it hard coming downhill. He actually tried to run somebody over at one point near the goal line, which was impressive. I haven't seen him do that in a while. Um, And like you said, with Jalen Knight, it was so nice seeing a guy get the ball, having a guy lined up ready to tackle him. And having the other team whiff on a tackle for once was fantastic. We see that every game, every every series pretty much with the Hurricanes. But it was nice to see Virginia players whiffing on, on Jalen Knighton because of his elusiveness. And I think that dynamic of his speed and elusiveness are really going to add to the offense, I hope, moving forward. All right. Three drops last night by the receivers. Uh, Will Mallory, of course, had the first one on the very first play of the game. I know the ball was sort of thrown hard, um, but he dropped it and he ended up playing uh, I think 55 snaps in the game. I got to look at his exact numbers. I don't have those directly in front of me, but still only one catch in this game. I'm looking at Will Mallory's stats now for the season. They're atrocious. Uh, nine catches for 64 yards, no touchdowns. Um, and he's got uh, four drops on the year. Uh, he's graded out in the forties, three times he's graded out in the fifties once against app state. And he had his best grade, best grade against central Connecticut state. What do you do with a guy like Will Mallory at this point where <clears throat> you're halfway through the season or about to be halfway through the season when you play North Carolina, October 16th. And it, I mean, can you do anything for him confidence wise to help him out? I mean, at this point, is it a lost cause? Do you just go to a Royal. What do you do with this tight end position? I mean, it's tough to say, man. I I don't know what's going on inside Will Mallory's head. He's been a a big part of the offense in the past, and he was expected to be take a bigger role this year now with Brevin Jordan gone. But it seems to me like he feels more comfortable being the second guy and not being the guy. And that's when he seemed to perform better, when the pressure wasn't on him to be the lead tight end. And I think maybe you need to put him back into that role. Maybe you start Elijah Royal, give Royal more snaps, and you inject Mallory here and there. And I also think you need to maybe reduce your reliance on him as being a playmaker and just use him in regular spots as you would any other tight end because they keep flexing him out at receiver. He never gets open. They keep trying to run these, these little routes to him. Like we said, running down the line, trying to make a, a big play after the catch and he doesn't do it. So just relax, let him get out there and be a regular tight end and don't rely on him to be Brevin Jordan or be this big playmaker and see what Elijah Arroyo can give you. And if you can't get anything out of the tight end position, uh, then just use more four wide receiver sets and screw it. Uh, he had four. He has four drops this season. He had two all of last year. So it just it's tells incredible. you. I mean, it's incredible the, the drastic drop off for this kid. To me, he's the most disappointing player on offense this season. Right, and and I would say the most disappointing unit is the offensive line. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And and what we were talking about earlier with the offensive line, what's really insane, what's really crazy about it is that to the position they're having the most problems with is guard, and it's two guys that have been with them, with the program the longest. And two guys that were highly recruited in Navon Donaldson and DJ Scaife. Um, you know how how we always say uh, quarterbacks they they look for the guy that they've worked with the most in practice, right? Like the guys that mm-hmm. they throw. 
I mean, nothing could be further from the truth for Tyler Van Dyke in his first <laughs> real start. He, he had eight targets to Charleston Rambo and eight to Mike Hardy. He went to the veterans yeah. uh, last night. And, and Rambo, once again, I thought played well. Five catches, 99 yards. Yeah, I guess it's done. Got open quite a bit. Harley, six catches, 45 yards. And it's, I think, his first touchdown. That was a beautiful throw and yeah. catch in the corner. It was a second touchdown because he ran the same route against uh, Central Connecticut the week before and caught a touchdown okay. on it. So it was, but it was a great throw though by by Van Dyke, great placement, great route by Harley, and I was just I felt really good for Harley because you know as you know covering him in the off season, this kid came back and really went to work trying to become a better receiver and really wanted to be one of the greats when he left here on the by making his mark on the record books, and it was so disheartening to see him have these struggles early on. I'm just glad he got that that touchdown and really played well last night. And I think he's now third all time in the receptions list for the Hurricanes. Yep. So. Uh, he moved into third last night and, you know, hopefully he, he finds his mojo again for Miami and he gets himself in a position where he can get himself drafted. Because I thought over the last six games of last season, he probably could have snuck into the bottom of the draft and been like a seventh or sixth round pick. Yeah. But this start certainly didn't help him, um, you know, where he was dropping a few balls and not playing well. But if they can get him going, that'll help help this offense out quite a bit. Romello Brinson, by the way, last night had a pass third down, yeah, hurt me. go right through his hands. Which shows you, again, you know, we want to see the freshman play, right? Everybody wants to see the young guys out there, but this is part of it. They're going to make mistakes, you know. Uh, James Williams took a horrible angle on that touchdown run by Virginia. Yep. Um, he missed you know, a pick he, early on on the first missed, series. Right. He had a pick go through his hands. Um, you know, it, it's just part of the deal. These guys are going to make mistakes. Um, but Brinson, you know, you still got to trot him out there. And I got to look at how many snaps here he had last night. Uh, when I look over at the offensive stats, but I, I think, think I, I think the thing to keep in mind with the freshmen are, yeah, they're going to make their mistakes. It's going to happen. But you know what? The veterans have been making mistakes too. But the the flip side of that coin is these kids when they make plays and when they're on, they can be special. And and I think that's the difference. Yeah, no doubt. Um, let me see here how many snaps these guys ended up playing. Um, the leader that's in offensive it. snaps, uh, Van Dyke, Nelson, Clark, Scaife, Donaldson, Williams. So basically. Um, the, the offensive line and the quarterback played every snap. And then after that, you had Rambo with 69 snaps, Mallory with 56. Um, Arroyo only played 18. That's incredible. Uh, Bashard Smith only played nine, but he got more touches. Every time he was in there, they basically ran the play for him. And then uh, Restrepo, 25 in the slot, Harley, 38. Keyshawn Smith, 53 snaps. He only had one pass thrown his way. Um, and then uh, Mal, like I said, Mallory 56, Cameron Harris 37, Knight and 36. So they basically split the reps right down the middle for the running backs. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Bashard Smith and Jacoby George played. So they basically, beyond um, Restrepo, Harley, Smith, and Rambo, was the three freshmen. So there's no more Mark Pope who's expected to go into the transfer portal and no D. Wiggins who I've also <clears throat> heard potentially could be in the transfer portal soon. So uh, they've, they've fully adopted the freshmen. Yeah, and, and I think it was time, and I think it was the right move. And, I mean, I'd like to see them get a little bit more creative with what they're doing with Richard Smith because uh, that whole motioning him into the backfield and handing it to him every time you do that is really not going to work. And then the ingenious thing of then doing running that play and then coming right back to the play action off of it right immediately after the play you just ran it really doesn't work either. So there, there needs to be a little bit more creativity in the way they use Richard Smith because he can definitely be a weapon. And I was happy to see um, Restrepo get some run again. That kid's a playmaker. He needs more targets. 
Um, I think Jacoby George is, is going to be a playmaker as well. And Romello Burnson will, will bounce back. I mean, it's, it's terrible. You drop that ball on third down, but these kids are going to make those mistakes. Like you said, but they'll bounce back and they'll make special plays on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I didn't think they played horribly. I think they just, again, when they needed stops, they didn't get them. And then, you know, Virginia helped them. They dropped a touchdown pass. Uh, Brendan Armstrong overthrew guys, missed guys that were open deep down the field. Um, coverage continues to be the issue. 14 missed yep. tackles better than, you know, Michigan State, um, but only one fewer than Alabama, which, you know, again, I, and you and I talked about missed tackles uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago when this became a huge issue. Um, you know, they averaged about between nine and 11 missed tackles a game in the Manny Diaz era when, when Shaq and Pinckney were here. I mean, still a high average. They only had seven against Central Connecticut State, 14 this week. I think the average is probably down into the mid-teens, but it's still not good enough. Like, you still have to do better. And, you know, to Corey Couch, I think had three missed tackles in this game. Uh, Nessa Silvera charted for four of them. Um, and then Zach McLeod with two, James Williams one, Leonard Taylor one, Sam Brooks one, Bubba Bolden one, and Wayman Steed. Um, what concerns you most as we move forward? This was a very good Virginia offense. They only scored 28 points plus the safety. What do you take away from defense in the state of where it is right now? I think it's, like you said, they, they are not making the timely plays. They're not getting the stops when they need them most. It seems like whenever they need a stop, they give up points. They give up long drives. They can't get teams off the field on third downs. They either commit a penalty, they give up a long gain, or they allow the quarterback to escape the pocket and pick up a first down when it's third and 10 plus. And that, that's what's killing them. They have to get people off the field when it matters, especially when it's third and 10 plus. You shouldn't be giving up those first downs, and that's been a pattern for this defense. The other thing I'm seeing is they're not gang tackling enough. I mean, I think I saw one play last night where they gang tackled and it's the one where uh, Gervin Hall jumped the pile 15 seconds after the referee blew, blew the whistle, almost got a flag for it. I mean, they need to come to the ball and come together and, and, and start playing aggressively as a unit. It seems like too many times if the first guy misses a tackle, then whoever's carrying the ball is, gets another 5, 10, 15 yards downfield before anybody else shows up in the picture. And that's a problem. They're not, they're not attacking the ball. They're not flowing to the ball. And their lack of aggression sometimes seems to get the better of them. They, they come out fired up at the first, the beginning of the game, the first quarter, they look like at that first series, they were into the game. And then all of a sudden it starts to dissipate once they start giving up yardage. It's like they have a confidence issue. Well, right now they're 112th in third down defense, giving up converting 48.44% of the time. Um, you know, let's go back. I'm going to, I'm going to go into the way back machine last year. What were they on third down defense? They were, 45th, 45th, 38%. Okay. That was last year. And this is just against FBS teams. Okay. I'm not counting the, the cheapos here. Um, let me look up 52 in 2019, 38%. And I think Manny's last season, they were first in the country on third down <laughs> defense. His, his last season is DC before coming back and taking over the reign. So they've gone from first to 52nd, to 45th, <laughs> to 112th on third down. And it brings me more to what happens on third down, right? You try to dial up the pressure. You try to bring more blitz. You put the defense in zone defense because you don't want to give up the big play. You want to keep everything in front of you. And 
it's just not happening. And to me, the biggest thing that's bothering me is how much cushion they're giving up in the zone defense and how lost they are at times, just losing track of guys. Yep. What are you seeing that's that? I mean, am I am I wrong in my assessment? No, we talked about this last night. I was texting with you and Kelvin about this last night. It seems like every time they run a zone coverage, there's somebody's always lost. Somebody's always out of position. Somebody's always stuck looking around and letting receivers go right by them or catch balls in front of them, not knowing that that's where they're supposed to be. And you saw last night when they started going more man-to-man, they actually started stopping Virginia's passing attack. And it's like, man, if you're going to give up yards anyway, if you're going to be giving up points anyway, why not just lock up man-to-man, play one or two high safeties, and roll with it, and let them beat you man-to-man if they're better than you. If they're that much better than you and they're going to score on you anyway, let them beat you man-to-man. At least you could do it aggressively. And that's what these kids are most comfortable playing. And that's the issue. They need to start not just on defense, but on offense, looking at what they do best. What is it we can run that we feel really good about? What has worked for us this season against everybody we've played? What, what can we rely on? And on defense, I think that's going man-to-man, bringing pressure on occasion, but really locking up and not and taking the decision-making out of, okay, do you have that guy or do I have him? Are you in this area? Are you over the top? Am I? And all that confusion stops when you know this is the dude I got to worry about, and that's it. Right now, and I, and look, I, I wish I had more numbers on zone defense. Jason Starrett, who's an excellent stat guy, he worked at ESPN for many years. He's one of the editors at The Athletic. And I asked him today if he can give me some numbers on how Miami looks, you know, in zone versus man. He said usually it takes them a couple of days because they have to update through the weekend, right, of all the games. So hopefully next week on the next podcast we can get more into this. But I can tell you as far as blitz numbers, because I went game by game with PFF, Miami has blitzed. Of the 200 dropbacks for opposing quarterbacks this season, this is including Central let, Connecticut. Let me take a guess. What what percentage do you think they're blitzing? 45%. 50. I was close. I mean, that is as high a percentage, I think, as there is in the country. And just compare it to last year, okay, um, and years prior. In 2020, Miami blitzed on 35.5% of team dropbacks. In 2019, close to 37%. In 2018, 43 and a half. In 2017, 37%. And in 2016, 42%. So this is the most blitz Manny Diaz has been calling in his career as a defensive coordinator. And why is that? Well, number one, because he really doesn't have a dominant defensive end that can get in the backfield and get sacks for him and create pressure. That's one. Number two, he doesn't trust his secondary. So he's trying to get the quarterback to get rid of the ball quickly or create chaos to make sure he doesn't get the ball off to the right guy. And I think those are the two main reasons. He doesn't trust his secondary, and he doesn't have a guy up front in that front four that he can rely on to get pressure on the quarterback consistently without blitz. To this point, according to PFF, Miami has created 68 pressures in those 200 dropbacks. That's a 34% percentage that they're getting pressure on the quarterback. Well, how does that compare, right? How does that compare to last year? Well, 34.4% last year. So Blake Baker was actually doing a better job. He had Jalen Phillips. Hold on, Jalen and Quincy Roche. And Quincy Roche. Uh, in 2019, 43.4% of the time, Greg they were Rousseau. creating pressure on the quarterback. Okay? Um, 2018, 42.5%. Joe Jackson, um, Gervin, uh, Joe Jackson, what was he like? I got it. I forget. Uh, Jonathan Garvin. 2017, the magical year, 37% pressure percentage. And 2016, 34. So they are back to being what they were when Manny Diaz first took over in, in terms of being able to actually put pressure on the quarterback 
in percentage. They're blitzing a ton more, leaving them exposed, leaving running backs wide open in the flat, leaving receivers open in the flat when they when they just sit there and, and wait for the ball to come to them uh, because they're bringing extra pressure. And so that is why the defense looks the way that it does. But as you pointed out last night, when they played man, more man in the second half, they looked better. Yep. So I don't know, man, like from a from a defensive philosophy standpoint, I get it. Uh, you know, you have to put pressure on the quarterback. Here's some numbers. When Miami puts pressure on a, on opposing quarterbacks this season, they're only completing 46% of their passes, 372 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. When quarterbacks are kept clean, they're completing 65.6% of their passes for 876 yards, five touchdowns, and two picks. Um, so he almost has no choice. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The blitz. That's what I'm saying, because he doesn't have anybody in the secondary that he can trust to make plays. And he has no defensive end or anybody up front that gets that is getting consistent pressure. The other thing that's disturbing is, yeah, they're running a lot of blitzes. They're getting a lot of pressures, but they're not coming away with a ton of sacks compared to the amount of their, their pressures, which is what's disturbing. So not only are you bring extra bodies, but you're bringing extra bodies. You're not getting home to get to the quarterback. And then that leaves you even more exposed on the backside. I mean, early on in his career here with Miami, he could get away with that stuff because the secondary was much better. And he had a couple of linebackers that were that knew what they were doing and were more athletic than the guys who got out there. But right now, I mean, I don't even know what to do. I mean, like I said, at this point, it's just man up, have one high or two high safeties behind it and hope for the best. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Uh, coming off of last night's game, Zach McLeod credited with five pressures. Uh, he played 48 snaps, 26 pass rushing opportunities. So he's five, five for 26 in creating pressure. Leonard Taylor only played 21 snaps, including 14 against the pass. He produced three pressures. Chance Williams, uh, who we have all been clamoring for more playing time, 32 snaps, three pressures, 18 pass rushing opportunities. Um, the two highest graded players on defense for Miami last night, Cameron Kitchens, who played 33 snaps at free safety, uh, graded out the highest 80.4. Chance Williams was second, 73.4. Um, Tyreek Stevenson, who I think got dinged up, didn't play much at all in the second half. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of regular rotation guys, he's, he's next, uh, graded out above average 66.6. DeAndre Johnson, uh, actually played probably one of his better games in terms yeah. of PFF grades, 47 snaps, uh, DJ Ivy in for 51 snaps off the bench. That's a lot of work for DJ Ivy. Uh, Corey flag who had the pick, I thought did an excellent job. Uh, reading the play there, no, uh, I think no missed tackles for Corey Flag, and he had. I thought he pick. played really well. Yeah, he 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 looked like okay, maybe the 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 light bulb is completely turned on for him. Yeah. 
Um, he was directing Miami's defense. Uh, Jafari Harvey, 39 snaps, 61.1 grade. And then uh, Chase Smith actually played two snaps. Now, one guy that I know you like a lot, okay? <laughs> I know where you're going with this one. Sam Brooks Jr. Came uh, I in, thought you were going somewhere else. No, he came in. He played some linebacker. Well, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because after the game, he tweeted deuces. He put, right. You know, and everybody's like, oh, my God, is he going to leave the team? I reached out to his father uh, today, earlier today, asked him what's going on. He says he's not going anywhere. But he didn't play well. Four snaps, um, had a missed tackle, was out of position, graded out the worst of anybody on this defense, according to PFF. Um, okay, now I'm calling the PFF numbers into question. Because I can name one guy, and you know who I'm talking about, who I think graded out beyond bad in this game. Who's that? Uh, Gervin Hall. Gervin Hall did grow, uh, grade out below average, 54.9. Um, you know, no missed tackles this week. Um, Didn't get near he, the ball. But he was he was basically playing slot corner the whole game. And they kept going at him. And they kept right. They kept going after him. And then he had the play where he probably should have been called for targeting. Wasn't. Yep. Um, I don't know. Nesta Severa didn't grade out well at all. This is not, a, you know, Nesta was playing well prior to this. And Jared Harrison Hunt gets hurt. Yep. Now it's like, what happens when Jared Harrison Hunt comes back in the next game? You know, Jordan Miller didn't play either. I don't know. It's interesting. But Leonard Taylor, I thought, looked really good when he was out there. Yeah, I mean, like you said with the other freshman, he had his moments where he was up and down. There was times where he overran plays, got doubled, got blocked into the line, uh, missed a tackle. But other the other times, he was creating chaos, pushing the line of scrimmage back, engaging and getting and making plays, running a kid down from behind. It was it was pretty impressive to see him be that athletic at that size. I mean, it, John Ford has been here 19 years and hasn't looked like that at any point of his career. So I think if if you're going to eat up anybody's snaps. You eat into John Ford snaps and get this kid back out on the field and get him another 15, 20 snaps a game. Uh, let's look at the season-long PFF numbers for Miami, if we could. And then we're going to talk Manny Diaz. I promise. I promise, guys, we're going to talk Manny Diaz. Um, these are the season-long numbers, okay? Uh, Jared Harrison Hunt grading out in the 80s, okay? He's got five pressures, played 131 snaps, no sacks. But, you know, he's, he's, he's made tackles for loss. He's yeah, I think the, he's by far been the best defensive lineman all year. Cameron Kitchens is next. He's played 116 snaps. He's looked good at safety, 73.5 grade. Um, yep. Again, these are the guys. I'm only going with guys who have played here, okay, who played significantly throughout the season. James Williams, over 100. He's got 125 snaps now. He's the third, he's the third best players among guys that, that has played at least 100 snaps on this defense. Then Nesta. Uh, then Chance Williams. Those are your top five graded players. Again, all young guys. Yep. So and they're going to make mistakes, but like I said, their upside, their ceiling is so high compared to these guys that are out there now. Then you might as well roll with them and, and start eating into the into the older guys' snaps because I can't take watching Bubble Bolden dive in like a missile again, miss and, and miss everybody completely. Be lost in coverage with Gervin Hall. Gervin Hall having no idea where he's at. I'd rather see James Williams drop a pick, but at least he's there. And I'd rather see Cam Kitchens drop a pick, but at least he's in position to make a play. These guys eventually will make those plays. Um, anything else on defense, or do you have any questions that pop in your mind, or do we move on to Manny Diaz? I mean, I mean, can someone teach the Corey Couch how to tackle? I mean, that's all he needs. Just, um, I mean, if he had a tackle rate of thirty-three percent, we probably would be undefeated right now. Ten missed tackles for the season. 
Um, it's a ridiculously high percentage of 32% missed tackle rate. Um, in coverage, he's, he's amazing. Like, he's, he's great. Targeted 23 times. He's only given up 11 catches for 101 yards. He's broken up three passes. Uh, so he does a good job in pass coverage, like you say, but he's a mini Dion. Uh, but you know, it's kind of like you only get half of the good game that you want out of him. Exactly. All right, let's move on to Manny Diaz and, and probably the subject that everybody wants to talk about. And I'm going to go to the, some of the questions here because I asked for questions and it was probably a mistake. Oh shit. You just, you just fucking, you, you batted the hornet's nest, my friend. I did. I hit the hornet's nest. Um, let me, let me just go through it here. Uh, wow. Um, let me start from the beginning. Cause this, I sent this out about half an hour ago and I was you got like, 3000 responses. I basically did. Yes. There was a, there was a lot of responses. Number one, uh, this is from uh, G underscore reg third leg uh, on Twitter. Is, is college football season over yet? I think we can answer this one. No, you still have seven <laughs> more games <laughs> to swallow, buddy. Um, is the season over though? Let's talk about that. Is it, it two and three, oh, and one is the season over in your mind? I, I really don't want to go all Al Golden on you. Like Kelvin went on me last night, but the coastal is still in front of us. There's still, uh, you know, seven league games left. Even if they don't win the coastal, there's still the potential for a good bowl game and a good showing at the end of the season. I think the way they've played up to now, it's groundhog's day. It's the same game over and over again. And they haven't shown any improvement. So I don't feel at this point that they're going to be any better than four and four, three and five in the conference, better than six and six, maybe five and seven um, for the season. But maybe they turn it around, man. Maybe they figure something out during this bye week and they surprise us all. But I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. All right. This is from uh, Mr. Underscore Right 34. Uh, when will Manny Diaz and Blake James be fired? Can you can you tell me, Carlos? Um, well, I consulted my magic eight ball and it said not anytime soon. <laughs> all right. Here's what I'm going to say about all of this, because I know that it's, it's a hot topic. Um, first of all, there's a thousand rumors out there, right there. This time of year, there's always a thousand rumors. I've reached out to some prominent former hurricanes. One who has been very tapped in for a long time who said, when I asked, is Manny Diaz going anywhere? He said, flatly, no, no way. Um, now, I will There's tell you. There's 8 million reasons why he's not going anywhere. Right. Part of this is the buyout. Part of this is it was only 30 to 28 last night, and they still have a season to play for, right? There's still this mm -hmm. technically an ACC race to be in. Um, but I have been told, and I can tell you from commiserating with my buddy, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic and other people, that you know, the feeling essentially going into this week was let's see what happens in October. And if they go out and get themselves completely embarrassed and North Carolina runs for another 700 yards against them and, you know, they lose 63 to nothing or 63 to 14, I think at any point you could have sort of a similar situation to what happened with Al Golden, right? Where they yep. lost 58 nothing to Clemson and it's just this overwhelming, you know, sort of feeling like, okay, there needs to be a change. And then you go to the interim coach and then you be, you go into the head coach search, right? Like, okay, there's something else that has to be found. Um, I don't think right now that, that it's going to happen this weekend. I think at the very least he will get an opportunity to coach against North Carolina. 
Again, this is my opinion based on conversations that I've had with different people. I've checked in with boosters who give a lot of money to school. The same boosters who, who told me that Mark Rick was retiring before the whole world knew it the night before when he reached out to me mm -hmm. and told me. So, and his feeling is, yes, people are angry. Things could happen, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen immediately. Again, you don't know. You don't know what kind of conversations are going on behind the scenes with trustees. Um, I didn't get the sense that Manny Diaz is... is panicked right now right like, he's not he's not in imminent danger right now because it hasn't been embarrassing enough i think for for the board of trustees to make a move this season like you said it has to be so embarrassing and there has to be so much egg on the university's face that they have no choice but to get rid of this guy because like you said there's an eight million dollar buyout so for the return on that eight million dollars needs to be saving face for the university in a way that it, they have no other choice but to do it. They're not going to make a move on this guy because he keeps losing one score games and finishes five and seven or six and six. He needs to get his ass kicked severely over the course of the month of October, which is possible. Um, and then they'll make a move because they have no choice. But until then, it makes economic sense for them to let him finish out the season and then make a decision. Yeah. And, and I think also like, you know, what do you gain by firing in the middle of the season? Right. Like people have asked me that, what do you gain? Could you lose something like to me, what you gain is, Hey, the school's serious about making a change, right? Like you can go to the recruits and to the players and say, look, we're not going to just let this thing fall apart and have a bunch of kids decommit. We, you know, we're going to work on getting a new head coach. You can go to them with that kind of a message. Um, but I don't know how great that's necessarily working out for USC right now. Right. Like, I mean, it's not working out well. Um, so I guess that's the benefit of it, right? You save embarrassment. I don't know that that matters to Miami or at least the administration as much as people would hope it would. Um, I think money always matters first for that administration. So, and, anyway. and I think, I think if they're thinking about getting rid of him, unless it's really embarrassing, I think it's to their advantage to let him go through the early signing period, uh, and get a, a recruiting class locked in because at the very least he's, he's shown over the last couple of years that his recruiting has improved and he's getting talent in here. Let him finish that class out and then let the new guy take advantage of the talent he's brought in. Because if not, you fire him midseason, you're going to lose whatever class you have right now until you name a new head coach. And at that point, it's going to be mainly figuring out who you can bring in at the last minute and rate and pretty much rating the transfer portal to see who you can bring in. All right. Um, this is from Shane Kelly. Manny was banking on a good start to lure in some high quality recruits in the winter. Should he be more worried about now keeping the guys that he has in the class? Um Here's the funny thing about this recruiting class, right? There's nine commitments in this class and in terms of high school kids. And I think a lot of this class was going to be transfer portal anyway. Right. right. Like you're just looking to see how you fill needs. Um, I think even with this start, you're still a player until December. You don't like to me, so much has to be resolved, right? Like is Manny going to be here? what kind of changes are going to be made to the staff. I think if you start looking at like, well, are we going to keep the recruits? Like the recruits are going to do what they want. Like there, <laughs> there really is nothing Miami can do at this point because the idea was right. You have a great season and all of a sudden, you know, Nigel Lee Kelly and Shamar Stewart and all these elite players are going to want to come to you. Like, I don't know when you, when you go through, oh, sorry, I dropped the mic. Here. Uh, when you go through something like this, where a coach is going to be fired and or, or everybody believes that, um, and then you still have to go through a search for a replacement. Like, how do you 
what do you tell the recruits at that? You're selling the university, right? You're selling, right. hey, come play here, opportunity. And there's no better advertisement than what Miami's doing right now, which yeah. is playing Tyler Van Dyke and James Williams and Leonard Taylor and all the young guys. And I and think the three amigos on offense, yeah. I think as this season progresses, inevitably, the more that they lose, the more you're going to see that. Right. There's just going to be the investment. And so kids could end up picking this school just just the same way that they're going to stick stick with FSU. Right. Um, yep. Because there's an opportunity to come in and play right away and so, change the program, be the guys that, that the class that flipped this thing around. Now, I think the guys they have committed are pretty locked in. And I think that's the reason they only have nine commits, because they've been chasing a bunch of blue uh, blue chip guys that they really might not have a shot at unless they had a great season. And, you know, I don't think those guys are going to come here uh, at this point, but the nine they've got, I think they're pretty well locked in. And then Manny always had the transfer portal in mind as a backup option to supplement whatever he didn't pick up and whatever he missed out on with those blue chip guys. Right. All right. This is from Jeffrey Cook, JPC867. Even if Manny isn't fired, what do you think will be the percentage of freshman sophomore, sophomores that enter the portal? Any idea if this team is just broken and good players will find a new spot to show out? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I feel like what you're going to see is the older players yeah. take off the guys that aren't playing. The guys whose snaps are getting eaten into are going to continue to get eaten into. Those guys are going to take off. I think the young guys are going to stay because they're the ones. I think not only are they the ones getting the, the getting more snaps as time goes on, but I think what you saw with the last recruiting class, not 2021, but 2020, the one with Corey Flagg and Restrepo and these guys, is that these guys really believed in the university, believed in Manny, believed in the program, and wanted to be Hurricanes and wanted to see this thing turn around and see it through. And I think they've seen that. They've brought those types of guys in over the last two classes. So aside from the fact that they're the ones getting the majority of snaps or will be moving forward, I think, um, why make a move when you made this commitment to be that class, to be the, the, the guys that flip this around? Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, in, in the long run, so everything is so fluid, right? Like, we really don't know what these kids are thinking. I, I think, for, for, I will say this, I think a lot of the young guys who bought into Manny and signed with Miami to come here, they know what's ahead of them. They know that the opportunity they have, and, and they've seen their friends go into the transfer portal and get screwed and end up yeah. nowhere. Yeah. And so I think that's another aspect to all of this that is maybe not being thought of enough is there's a lot of guys that are still homeless that got into the transfer portal. So I think. Or transferred know, and it didn't work out. Right. Transferred, the coaching staff changed, and now they're sitting there. I mean, Jared Williams is a perfect example, right? I mean, he's not playing at USF. Yep. And you'd think, well, he's the quarterback for Miami. He'd be on the – no. I mean, there's other guys that have left to go to other schools and they're not in, in the roles that they want to be in. So um, I, I just think it's a hard um, hard situation to be in, and I think it's something you have to consider more when you think about will these kids take off and run. And I think if they fire Manny, the, the question for the kids is going to be what sort of systems are going to be brought in now, and do I still fit in those systems? That would be the bigger question. Right. I would think a lot of guys would probably transfer out after the spring. If, if there's a coaching change, like, in other words, they're going to wait to see what's on the board, right? right? Like what, 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 how do these guys view me? I think more than anything, that's probably when you would see a lot more movement or, or they're just guys that they know they look at the depth chart now and they're like, well, there's no way I'm going to play here. I figured I, yep. I just don't fit in. Um, all right. This is from John Michaels who hosts a radio station. He's, he's a host a radio show in the past. Uh, when will the terrible people in charge get fired? Manny Blake, et cetera. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is the burning question with Blake. I will address this with Blake. Um, 
you know, he's been quiet throughout this whole process. Hasn't said a word. Um, at some point here, though, I think he's I mean, look, they they're, they sent us an email about basketball availability. Right. They, they just, normally he's a part of those press conferences, those zooms hasn't been around. Um, I'm interested to see when that finally happens. Like, when does he come out of of the shadows to address this? Because in the end, he hired Manny without even calling anybody else. This was a one quick deal, one shot, quick deal. And he's tied to it. So um, to answer your question, John, I have no idea, dude. Um, I wish I had an answer for you, um, but I can tell you that right now, the majority of the focus is on Manny and the football team. And at some point the conversation has to be had about the athletic director, right? Like who, who's going to hire the next football coach? Is it Blake James? I don't know which one goes first, but I think right now everybody's feeling the pressure there. And at some point we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll start to get some answers. All right. A couple more. And then we, 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 we move on and we wrap this thing up in your opinion. Do you think the offense with TVD at quarterback can win against North Carolina? And is this offense better with a pocket passer than a usual dual threat? Well, listen, don't tell, don't tell me TV needs a pocket passer and he's not a dual threat, man. You saw that run last night. You His saw wheels, 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 Van Dyke, wheels, Van Dyke. You saw him. So, uh, no, listen, I think, I, I think it's, it's two different styles, obviously that, that Deary King and, and TVD play. But like I said earlier, I think Tyler Van Dyke opens up the field in a way that De'Ari King doesn't because of his arm strength. But at the same time, he's probably going to take more sacks, one, because he doesn't know the offense as well. He's a young guy playing for the first time. And two, he's not as mobile as De'Ari King, who can scramble, make people miss, and gain 15, 20, 25 yards on runs. But at least he's athletic enough to move and slide around the pocket and maybe pick up five, six yards uh, and slide and get down if we needed him to. But I, I think the offense, to me, is all contingent on the offensive line. Can they block North Carolina, which they couldn't do the last two years? And the main concern is, can you stop North Carolina's running game now that they figured it out and have two guys again that can probably run for 6,000 yards in one game against this defense? <laughs> all right, let's get into what everybody wants to talk about. Who replaces Manny Diaz? Here's Rodney King asking, would Hugh Freeze be a great fit if, Man if Manny is fired? I mean, Hugh Freeze had the whole scandal. I think the university is um, scandal averse at this point after everything they've been through and they don't want any additional egg on their face or bring anybody on. I mean, if you're going to ask about Hugh Freeze, I'd ask about Art Riles because that's you're, you're almost in the same category. Although Hugh Freeze's thing was a little bit not as bad as Art Riles, definitely. Um, or Rich Rodriguez, who had his own personal issues. You could look at guys like that if you want to, but I don't think that should be their number one candidate. I know everybody wants Mario and that's definitely the number one on everybody's list, but I don't think that's going to happen just because of Mario's pride uh, and the situation that he's in right now with Oregon, with the number three team in the country. Like why the hell would he leave at this point? Um, to me, if you're going to look at other guys, I think there's, there's a couple tiers. There's tier one guys who've either won a lot of games or won national championships. Tier two guys that are good coaches that you could see being an upgrade and uh, tier three, which is like wildcard coaches, like a Hugh Freeze, Art Bryles, Rich Rodriguez, Mike Leach, maybe a Kevin Sumlin. So to me, the tier one guys, you got Mario, Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle, Gus Malzahn, and Bob Stoops. Can you coach Bob Stoops out of retirement? That would be a hell of a hire to me. I don't think you'd do it, but that's one of those guys. Gus Malzahn at UCF, yeah, he had a rough time at the end at Auburn, but he's got a national championship, thanks to Cam Newton mostly. But he won a lot of games in the SEC at Auburn and knows how to recruit at a high level and knows how to win. Um, Luke Fickle's won a lot of games at Cincinnati. He was at Ohio State. Great coach. 
I know Lane Train is scoring a million points a game right now. And, Lord, if he happens to upset Alabama this weekend, his price is going up. So who knows what happens, man. But those are the guys I go after. And that second tier are probably guys that are more realistic based on our budget. You're probably looking at a Greg Schiano uh, trying to get Bill O'Brien over here from Alabama. Um, look at a Tom Herman, although his, his tenure at Texas ended early. I think he was still a pretty good coach. Uh, Jamie Caldwell from Coastal Carolina. I mean, that would be a guy I'd definitely put a call into. And maybe Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State, who's doing a hell of a job over there. Carlos, you impressed the shit out of me, man. Like, you had you had your list ready to go. It's like you've been working on this behind the scenes for weeks. Uh, this is what I did when I got up this morning. This is the mood <laughs> they put me in. Do you want me to give you the coaching <laughs> records? I got them right here on the spreadsheet. And I also have their salaries and potential buyers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg Schiano is a name that's interesting because he's a guy that has certainly wanted this job in the past, interviewed for it before. Um, he's at Rutgers right now. He's starting to turn them back around. Um, but I looked up his contract. He's got a $6 million buyout. He, he signed a, an eight-year, $4 million a year deal with lots of incentives. And, you know, one of the Miami boosters who I spoke to earlier today uh, has friends in the New Jersey area and says he's, he's loving life over there. He's, he bought his old house, moved back in. He's got all these 20-inch TV, you know, TVs all over the house to watch sports, 40-inch uh, TVs or whatever. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of like, uh, settled in over there. But if Miami calls, I would tend to think that he would be somebody that would, they would, they would call and, and would something he would consider certainly um, even being settled in over there. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. And I think it depends on how scarred he is from the experience with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like he gave up Rutgers, that comfortable situation he had where he turned a doormat program into at least a relevant one and then went to go chase that NFL dream and it, it blew up in his face. And then he comes back to that same place where he feels at home is he willing to give up that comfort again for the chance of something greater or also the opportunity to get smashed in the face again by, by disappointment? Um, all right. This is from Jono Elliott here. Does firing D is now just simply restart the inevitable cycle of disappointment? And will we all be having this conversation in three years time under a new coach? And does Manny D is have enough credibility with current players and recruits to get away with it, with this disastrous season so far? I think the second question is very important because I don't think he's lost the team yet. Like you saw the effort last mm -hmm. night in the fourth quarter, but you got two weeks between now and North Carolina and a lot can happen. And yeah. as I told you, there's probably a couple of guys that are going to be getting into the portal soon. Sam Brooks won't be one of them. Um, but I think it's very important from a chemistry standpoint, like right now he's got Derek engaged, right? He's got Derek on the sideline. Um, that's helping things. I think with some of the older guys, the fact that they still have a chance at the ACC uh, to win the division. Like, I don't think we've reached the breaking point yet. I think once right. you reach a breaking point, everything's off the table. Like, even if they don't get embarrassed, like at, at what point do you, you know, have to sort of just say, it's it. We got to cut it. Um, I don't know when that point is. I think it's probably after a blowout, um, but. Or possibly a loss of Florida state. Or, yeah, or more injuries and, and just, you know, guys not happy with their playing time, how much bickering goes on behind the scenes. Um, I don't know. And then the first part, does it simply restart the inevitable cycle of disappointment? Yes, if you don't hire a good coach. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be the same thing over. Like, unless you hire one of those guys that I named as tier one coaches that you know are going to come in here and upgrade this program, then it's going to be possibly the same thing all over again. Right. Um, let's see here. 
This is from Europeite Smalls. What were Vilma and Vinny's responsibilities again for the school? Well, Vilma, I think, is on the on the athletic board of trustees. I don't know mm-hmm. what I don't know what Vinny's responsibilities are. Uh, Heisman Trophy winner. Um, I don't know what Vinny's doing. He might just be a consultant or somebody. Uh, I, I wish I knew. I should probably know the answer to that, and I don't. I know for sure Vilma is part of the uh, trustees. Um, this is from Corey Lowe. Any, uh, Manny, truth serum. Do you think Manny will be fired at the end of the season? And who do you think will be his replacement? Everything is Manny Diaz. Really. I told you this is a Manny Diaz segment. Of course. Um, truth serum. Do I think Manny will be fired at the end of the season? I think if they go worse than six and six, and I think if players start hitting the transfer portal, he'll be fired. Or if he gets completely run off the field. Those are the three. Yeah. If he gets the, the brakes beat off him, I, I think that that happens. But I, look, a lot of people complain to us on Twitter that we're not hard enough on Manny, that somehow we're shielding him and protecting him, that why don't we call for his firing? Look, it's not because I think Manny's in a fantastic job here that I don't do that stuff, but it's because I'm, I'm tired of starting over again, man. I'm rooting for the guy to win because I'm tired of this whole cycle of firing and hiring, and we've been in it for 20 years. And I just I, And I refuse to root against this team hoping they lose to get this guy fired because then that upsets me on a weekly basis. And I don't want to do that. All I want to do is see this team win, see this pro- the product on the field improve. And you know what? People would rather see this team lose and be miserable that way just to have Manny fired to get to the next coach, than see this team turn the season around and possibly improve as we go along. I mean, I would just rather let the season play out, call him out because he has to be accountable for what he's doing. The players have to be accountable for what they're doing or not doing as a matter of fact. But I'm not going to be calling for this guy's head during the season when there's so much left to play. And I just don't want to see more losses, man. I want this guy to succeed, not because he's from Miami necessarily or because he's Cuban, whatever the case may be, but because he's the head coach of the University of Miami. I wanted the same thing for Al Golden, for Randy Shannon, for Larry Coker. But I, I just I can't be this guy who flips on the team that I've rooted for my whole life because I want a guy fired and I want to bring in the next guy. I mean, at the end of the day, I understand everybody's frustration. I'm a fan, too. I last night. I tweeted, I texted you and I texted Calvin. This guy just got himself fired when the game ended. But I mean, it, in reality, there's still a lot left to play for. I know it's an Al Goldenism, but there's still a lot left to play for. The Coastal's still there. So let's see if these guys can band together. Either one of two things happens moving forward. Either they band together over this two-week period, figure some things out, and decide they're going to be a better team, and these coaches decide they're going to be better coaches, or they're going to get the brakes beat off them by North Carolina, because I don't think there's any in between. And at that point, the season goes off the rails. I agree. Um, I, I think as long as he doesn't lose the roster and as long as his team remains competitive, I think there's going to be some patience shown. The moment all of that dissipates in whatever order it happens, I think that's when you potentially have to make the change. And I don't think we're there yet. I, everybody wants to get you know, the car in front of the horse, right? That's the saying. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're there yet, but you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not in those meetings. And the saddest thing, the saddest thing and the funniest thing about this whole thing is there's two main issues. This team is facing and it's the simplest thing and the most difficult thing at the same time, they can't block and they can't tackle. You can fix those two things pretty easily, but they're very hard to do. Well, here's the thing. Like, I think the ultimate question is, why are they worse? Right? Because that's what they've been. They've been worse. They're tackling worse. Um, I think part of it is you you lost some valuable weapons. Brevin Jordan was a threat in the middle of the field, right? Um, Don Chaney was healthy. Derek 
King, De'Aaron King was healthy. You had the element of surprise with Rhett Lashley on offense. Um, it was a new offense. Like, I just think the stars were aligned to be better on offense because of those three, those factors. And then on defense, you had two guys at defensive end that everybody was, they had to prepare for. You don't have yeah. that element anymore. And yes, you have a new defensive coordinator who's supposed to fix all that, but you know, you go out, you get the, the brakes beat off of you by Alabama. There's going to be guys who lose confidence and let's face it. The kids nowadays, we've talked about this on the show before. Um, emotionally, they're different than the guys who won championships here. They're, they're softer. I'll say it flat out. The guy, some guys are softer. Not all of them. Some guys are just softer. Uh, they need coddling. They need somebody to encourage them and to clap them, uh, uh, pat them on the back and say, hey, you know, you, you're doing a great job, son. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I, what I see is, at times, guys who lose focus. Is that the head coach's responsibility to snap them in the place? I don't know. I, I like, At some point, when do players take responsibility? You know, is Manny Diaz too nice, right? Is he everybody's friend? Do we not see the evil Manny Diaz screaming behind the scenes at the top of his lungs, chewing these guys out? Is he, does he need to do more with withholding playing time? You know, like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe a different coach just goes about this entirely different. And that makes all the difference. I don't know. I just know that they weren't this bad last year. And a lot of these guys are back. I think the, the problem is this. You, it's hard to fix culture issues and your standards in season. So what I mean by that is if you set a certain standard in the offseason and everything you do and de- you focus to, to, on the details and get to really down granular with the attention to detail, you will be that way every time throughout the season, every game, every play, every practice, and that's the way you do it. If you are not consistent with it, if your standard is not that, then to try and change directions – and make it that mid-season is not going to work. It's like the parent who never disciplines their kid, all of a sudden turning into a hard ass and expecting your kid's behavior to change. That doesn't work. You need to set the expectations. You need to set your kid's uh, discipline level. Like a teacher in a classroom, you need to manage classroom ma- uh, behavior and set the expectations for kids' behavior. If they don't do that from the beginning, then you end up losing them, and, and you, it's an uphill battle from then on. And I think too many of the details have been let slip on that defensive side of the ball and even on the offensive line to the point where maybe it's irreparable, but maybe it's fixable because it's not like it's, man, it's not a physical issue that they're having. These, these guys are making mental mistakes on the offensive line. And even on the defensive side of the ball, when they're going to wrap people up, they're just flinging arms at them and diving at their legs and missing completely. It's something where they just need to trust technique and be coached up and executed. So who knows, man, I, I don't know where it goes from here. It can be fixed. Will it be fixed? I highly doubt it because we haven't seen it yet. Like I said, it's Groundhog's Day. Every game seems to play out the same way. All right. There's a boatload of questions here. I'm not going to be able to get through all of them. I'm sort of picking and choosing here. Yeah, get the spiciest ones. Get the spiciest ones. Well, I mean, here's one on the slow starts that I think, you know, is there any reason why they continue to start so slow? I I, I think part of it is when you run a tempo offense and you beat teams with tempo and you can't get the first down or the second first down, like it's hard to get into your offense. And that's – Again, everybody wanted the spread, right? Everybody wanted tempo. Yep. This is what you get when you when you don't go anywhere fast. You put your team in trouble, and no, and, and not only that, but then you leave your defense on the field for extra snaps, and they run out of gas. 
Right. I don't think that's happened yet because they've rotated so many people on defense. I don't think anybody's getting tired on defense. But I think offensively, you know, they just they haven't gotten off to good starts. I don't know if Rhett Lashley's just not scripting plays as well as he did last year. I don't know if, um, you know, the lack of a running game. I mean, to me, I think they've kind of been pegged into we can't run the football and now we got to throw it on third and long. I think that's been a, an issue quite a bit. You've had drops. Those have been drive because penalties uh, yeah. like all of those things delay you. They've just been sloppy. They just it's just been sloppy early in the game. And that that puts them behind um, here. Ask Ebony Lifestyles how many players are getting drafted. I just that's from, <laughs> that's from Ron Mexico, 718, one of the one of our resident uh, comedians. Um, he said 15 or 16 at the beginning of the season, but preseason, right? Right. Um Oh, here we go. From Martin Keene. Shouldn't the podcast be called Off the Upright? That's a good one. I'm guessing that's I'm guessing that's a Florida State fan. <laughs> this is from Landfound. Ask Manny Diaz if he has personality, because if he did, he would resign. Uh, who would be your top five candidates in the next head coach at Miami? Is it true that Manny's buyout is eight million? Yeah, that's what Barry Jackson reported. Um you suck with this clickbait QB throw an INT a running back fumble. Then you saying, why not kick the field goal for the win? You stink for this. The field goal was had a better percentage of success than anything else. Sure. Go ahead. Um, all right. I, I, I think we're going to wrap it, man. Uh, any, <laughs> a, a, any final thoughts? There's literally a thousand. Everybody's so pissed. Uh, any, any final thoughts as we wrap this one up? Man, uh, like I said, it's disappointing to see his team play this way because it, it's been self-inflicted wounds. I think at this point, like we've talked about a bunch, can we just get the guys off the field that don't deserve to be on there anymore? Because we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again and getting the same results, and we're expecting different results. That's what's called insanity. Get Griffin Hall off the field. He doesn't deserve to be there over Cam Kitchens or James Williams. Get Wayman Steed, less snaps, mix in, Sam Brooks, see what he does. You've seen poor linebacker play anyway. Let him get into a groove and see what he does, not just four snaps. I have seen enough of Bradley Jennings for the rest of my life. Uh, unless he, he would like to, to coach as a GA moving forward, I don't ever want to see him again. Please get DJ Ivy out of my life. Give these other guys a chance. It, my God, Marcus Clark, the poor guy, I feel bad for him. He had that interception last night in his hands, drops it, and it turns into that great play by Wicks, where it bounces off his face, his butt, his head, and he catches that ball in the end zone. But he came closer to an interception on that play than DJ Ivy has in the last, like, 16 games. I mean, at least they're in position to make plays, and that's the point. Get guys off the field that you've trusted for a long time that have shown you that you cannot trust. You've invested all this time and energy, in them, and what you've gotten in return is crap. So you might as well run with these young guys who at least are hungry and are willing to listen to you and are going out there and doing their best and trying to make plays and are in position to do so and run with them. And I'm sorry to say, well, Mallory, I thought you were going to be great this year. Get him off the field, too. Wow. Just get him off my lawn, baby. You've turned into Clint That's Eastwood. It. I can't take it. Uh, here's the here's a bonus question for you. Uh, I don't know if you want to ask him, but is Raul in jail after last night? Have you heard from him? Bro, I think I think after last night, Raul might have gone on a murder spree. I think uh, <laughs> or at least some serious vandalism. Chances are he's probably going to be making a phone call from some sort of uh, lockup somewhere. All right. Well, I hope he's OK wherever he is. I hope Raul is uh, doing all right. Uh, Carlos, as always, thanks for coming on and and sort of 
picking up the pieces after last night. I know we we've already fired Manny Diaz in our mind, right? Everybody has. This is just a, a matter of time. But you know and what? One more complaint. One more complaint about last night. Yes. They had me drinking and getting drunk because of the depression on a Thursday night. I'm an adult man with a family. Okay. This is not 21 year old me anymore at 609 in the Grove on a Thursday or the hungry sailor or Iguana Cantina. Please stop doing this to me. All right. Well said. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Make sure to check out Carlos on Twitter. Go ahead. Give him your Twitter. Uh, it's Ed Ledo 1307. Uh, if you're going to complain to me about not saying enough of uh, Manny D's needs to get fired, please don't tweet me. And I have the MIA all day podcast. Feel free to listen. All right. Make sure you tune in there. I will be back at some point. I don't know if it'll be next week or two weeks from now leading up to the UNC game. I haven't decided yet. I guess it all depends on if there's news and something worthy to, to talk about. But uh, I will be following this Manny Diaz situation closely. Uh, I'm still rooting for him. I'm still rooting for him to turn it around, man. Like covering this team. I don't I don't want to see him feel like you. Um, but we're we're reaching that dangerous zone, I think, where, you know, if he loses the team, it could inevitably spell doom for him. We'll find out. Uh, for Carlos Ledo, I'm Manny Navarro. Make sure you sign up, register to read theathletic.com, not just for me and, and my stories and, and, you know, to support me, but really just so much good journalism, so many good reporters there that are much better than me, including Bruce Feldman, who uh, has a very – Long tie to the University of Miami, one of our great uh, national beat writers, Stuart Mandel, Nicole Auerbach, Chris Vanini. I mean, we have a great team of people over there. So make sure you sign up, register to read theathletic.com. I think we're still on sale, man. Uh, there's still some deals to sign up for cheap. Great. And you can do it through the Wide Right Podcast for a dollar. So um, thank you, Carlos. I will talk to you guys. Peace. 305 954. Five, six, eight. This is the state of Miami.